Good morning. Today is March 18th. I'm your host, Caleb Teuton, and you're listening to the Early Birds Worm. It has been a year since the first state of emergency was declared in Ontario due to the dangers of coronavirus. Now a year into the global pandemic, a British variant of the disease is threatening a third lockdown, according to science advisors. Restrictions eased throughout the province in late January after a sustained decrease in daily cases was recorded. But by mid-February, the spread of the British variant has begun in Ontario. The concern is that experts say this variant is 35-40% to more contagious. Although the last time more than 2,000 cases were reported in a single day was January 30th, experts are seeing an upward trend in the average number of cases reported over a 7-day period now sitting at 1361. It is the actions that the people take over the next 10 days that will dictate the size of the upcoming wave. Experts hope that a focus on the vaccine rollout will also help drive back a third wave of the pandemic. Canada has recommended the AstraZeneca vaccine for people aged 65 and up and the change from its original guidelines. The Federal Adversity Committee had recommended the AstraZeneca only be given to those younger than 65 because there was insufficient data about its effectiveness for older people. Quebec said that it would give the vaccine to older seniors, while other provinces, including Ontario, said they would only give it to those under 65. Canada has ordered 20 million doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine, some of which has already arrived and been administered. AstraZeneca has also said that a review of 17 million people who've already gotten their vaccine in Europe and the UK found no sign or evidence of an elevated blood clotting risk. Seeing somewhat of an audience at the 63rd annual Grammys was quite an odd sight to say the least, but then the whole year was odd. Beyonce took home her record-breaking 28th Grammy this past weekend winning Best R&B Performance with Black Parade. She is now the female artist with the most Grammy wins of all time ultimately crowning her as she deserves, the Grammy Queen. Taylor Swift has also made history at Sunday's ceremony, becoming the first female artist ever to win an album of the year three times. Swift won for her latest album, Folklore. Swift now joins the elite company of Frank Sinatra, Paul Simone, and Stevie Wonder. Black Parade was not the only award-winning song to reflect the Black Lives Matter movement. R&B singer H.E.R. won Song of the Year for I Can't Breathe, which quotes the last words George Floyd said. Megan Thee Stallion made history as well this past weekend when she became the first female to win Best Rap Song with Savage Remix featuring Beyonce. Harry Styles also took home his first ever Grammy winning Best Pop Solo Recording Award for Watermelon Sugar. Harry Styles also took home his first ever Grammy winning Best Pop Solo Recorded for Watermelon Sugar. While also getting the seal of approval by Alicia Silverstone for his clueless inspired outfit. Nominations for the 92nd Annual Academy Awards were announced this week. Joey Cole reports. Award season is well underway, and although the ceremonies may look different this year due to the pandemic, the biggest names in music and film are still being celebrated. This year's Oscars will take place on the 25th of April. They've already gained a lot of buzz. The Oscars received criticism in the past due to a lack of diversity in the nominations. This year seems to set a new and hopeful course for change in diversity. Viola Davis made history by becoming the most nominated black actress in the history of the award show. She's in the running for Best Actress for the fourth time in her career. Another Oscar record to be broken by women in Hollywood this year is the nominations for Best Director. Shockingly, prior to 2021, there had only ever been one woman in the Best Director category. This year, both Chloe Zhao and Emerald Fennell are in the running for the coveted award. Chloe Zhao is also the first woman of color to be nominated. The Best Actor category is also getting a lot of attention. The late Chadwick Boseman is up for the award, and Riz Ahmed is the first Muslim man to be nominated. 
Steven Yen is the first Asian American man to be nominated for Best Actor for his work in Minari. Minari is up for six awards this year. The movie tells the story of a family that immigrated from Korea to America in the 70s. Despite being entirely shot in America, Minari was nominated under foreign film category at the Golden Globes earlier this year. Yen commented on the tone deaf nomination. I mean, I think rules and institutions fail us. I'm just glad that I get to be part of a film that challenges those ideas and presents the ways in which these rules and institutions misunderstand our actual lives. America is made up of a lot of different things, including different cultures, different people, different points of view. And that's kind of what makes this country so beautiful. While there's still a lot of work to be done as far as representation and diversity goes in Hollywood, this year's range of Oscar nominations is definitely a step in the right direction. Joey Cole reporting for the Early Birds Worm. Free agency is always a time where fans either have their heart broken because their favorite player didn't resign, or it gives them hope that maybe their team will hold up the Lombardi Trophy at the end of the season. Ethan Ricker reports. With free agency in full swing, teams are rapidly trying to sign players. The early winners of free agency seemed to be the New England Patriots as they went out and signed a whopping 12 players in the first three days of free agency, most notably signing tight end Hunter Henry to a three-year deal. Longtime rival of the Patriots, the Indianapolis Colts have took a completely different route when it comes to their offseason plans, only re-signing backup running back Marlon Mack to a one-year deal. The team with no name currently, the Washington football team, have been active, but not overly active, going out and signing longtime journeyman Ryan Fitzpatrick, shifty wide receiver Curtis Samuel, and a solid cornerback in William Jackson. This is Fitzpatrick's ninth team in 17 seasons. Yeah, so uh, Washington's had a pretty good offseason so far. I'm a big fan of the Curtis Samuel and the uh, William Jackson signing. I think they're going to be instant day one impact starters. Um, I'm a little bit step, uh, skeptical on the Ryan Fitzpatrick signing. He's been proven that he can't make it to playoffs. Other notable free agents who have found new homes are Bud Dupree signing with the Titans, Joe Thune to the Chiefs, and John Johnson III joining the Cleveland Browns. Ethan Ricker reporting for the Early Birds Worm. Rumors in basketball happen all the time, but when it comes to a superstar, it changes everything. Kyle Lowry has been on the Toronto Raptors since 2012, and rumors have been going around that he is going to be traded again in the near future. Lowry is an important piece to the Raptors. Taking away that piece would change a lot for the Raptors. Lowry said, The lies that people tell in the media are amazing. Don't put things out when they ain't come from me. Lowry's loyalty to the Raptors and how much his fans love him is beyond tradable. Last year in December, Elliot Page came out as a transgender man. This year, Page appeared on the cover of the New York Times magazine and did an interview talking about the experience. In the cover, Page with a short haircut and his dog strikes a pose. In the interview, Page describes the experience of finding out how he was a boy at the age of nine, what he was expecting the reaction to look like, and looks into being a transgender person in the spotlight. He talks about how his privilege will allow him to help others in any way he can. Page is currently starring in former My Chemical Romance lead vocalist Gerard Way's Netflix adaption of The Umbrella Academy. He plays the role of Vanya Hargreaves with Robert Sheehan and Tom Hopper.
Drive-in theaters reopened March 5th. With many areas of Toronto now in red zone, multiple theaters were able to reopen. Five Drive in Oakville, the Stardust in Stony Creek, and the Starlight in Newmarket on March 5th. The opening weekend lineup includes recent Hollywood releases, Wonder Woman 1984 and The Little Things, as well as older films Tom and Jerry, The Goonies, Fast Five and Ted. Despite being reopened, there are obviously multiple COVID-19 rules to follow. Masks must be worn at all times when outside your vehicles when purchasing snacks or using the washrooms. People must socially distance at six feet apart from each other and other vehicles. In a playoff game against local Yaroslav last Friday, Dynamo St. Petersburg's of the MHL Russian defenseman Timur Fazadinov was struck in the head with a puck on a fairly incident dump and change in the neutral zone. Fazadinov immediately collapsed onto the ice and was treated by team doctors and paramedics and was then taken off the ice on a stretcher. Fazadinov was later taken to hospital in Yaroslav where he passed away on Tuesday. It's unclear what exactly Fazadinov's injuries were and the cause of death has not been revealed. Dynamo said upcoming games and competitions will begin with a moment of silence for Fazadinov. Durham Region will be receiving over $5 million from the provincial government to help homeless shelter residents and staff through the pandemic. The region wants to use this money to create longer-term housing and provide relief for the vulnerable, according to the MPP for Durham, Lindsay Park. Some of the money is also planned to go towards Indigenous program partners. This will ensure they have access to PPE, cleaning supplies, more shelter staff, and hotel spaces to implement social distancing. They hope this will reduce homelessness and the spread of COVID-19. A North Oshawa parking lot saw a lot of action on Wednesday night after Durham Regional Police say more than 300 people were showing off their cars in a car rally. On Wednesday, March 11th, the police received several complaints about noise and people not following COVID-19 gathering limits. Police responded at around 8.30 p.m. with the support of a police helicopter to help with the crowds. A local car enthusiast, Erica Meyer, who had attended the car rally, says an image that was shared on social media did not tell the whole story when it can be seen that a number of people were without masks. Like I said, the majority of people that were there that night, last night, did wear masks. And it's just the picture was deceiving. Currently, Durham Region sits in the red zone, and gatherings are limited to just 25 people outdoors. Durham's Chief Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Robert Kyle, says he is disappointed in the move, as people who had attended would be mixing households together. Officials say it's best to avoid large gatherings, as the threat of variants of concern is still an issue in the region. I'm Vandita Kumar, reporting for the Early Birds Orm. The expansion of the Skilled Trade Centre at the Whitby Durham College campus will be open in September. The centre will have 60,000 extra square feet. The campus will be able to have about 750 extra students per year. This growth will allow more workspace for students taking the plumbing, electrical, and elevator technician programs. On top of the expanded workspace, there will also be more classrooms, a workout area, and an event room. Walmart Canada is closing six stores and spending $500 million to upgrade more than half its remaining locations and improve its online business and stores, the company said Monday. Walmart has been affected like many other retailers throughout the pandemic. Richard Southern, a business editor, says Walmart plans to put big money into renovating many of its other Canadian locations, Safa Hussein reports. Meantime, Walmart says it will invest $500 million to upgrade its existing stores, including uh, putting in place a fresh coat of paint, uh, new lighting, new signage, uh, new staff lounges, which may have something to do with maybe keeping those staff uh, far enough apart during the pandemic. Southern says as part of the retailer's store strategy, 
Walmart Canada will also close six stores. They're going to close down three locations in Ontario, including its uh, uh, Malton location and the Country Fair location in Hamilton. Southern says Walmart will also put in places to pick up your orders that you placed online. I'm Safa Hussein, reporting for the Early Birds Worm. St. Patrick's Day was yesterday, and for the second year in a row, celebrations looked a little different. St. Patrick's Day is an Irish holiday, but is celebrated across the globe. From the Emerald Isle to Durham, pubs and bars are usually packed on March 17th. Of course, due to the pandemic, bars are closed and social gatherings are forbidden. But that didn't stop people from celebrating. Hosting virtual parties, sharing pints of Guinness with roommates, or simply wearing green were all COVID safe methods of celebrating what will hopefully be our last St. Patrick's Day in quarantine. A Canadian child has been freed from a Syrian detention camp with the help of a former U.S. diplomat. Here with the details is Emily McPhail. A four-year-old girl's freedom from northeast Syria was the result of efforts on the part of her extended family and a former U.S. diplomat. Peter Galbraith has confirmed that the girl is now safely in Canada with family. The girl's mother is being held in the same ISIS detention camp. There are at least 24 Canadian children being held with their families in these camps. The Canadian government has been criticized for not doing enough to repatriate and step in to assist the dozens of Canadians being held in Syria because of alleged ties to ISIS. Galbraith told CBC News last week. And you would not allow a child to go to prison with its mother in Canada or the United States. Uh, uh, so, you know, why should this be the case in northeast Syria? In the case of this specific young girl, Global Affairs Canada was able to assist in getting the child from Iraq to Canada once Galbraith had gotten her out of Syria. Public Safety Minister Bill Blair said the ongoing civil war in the region makes the repatriation of Canadians difficult without putting Canadian officials in danger. However, the government is offering support where it can. It took Galbraith years to get this child freed from Syria without the help of the Canadian consulate. The Prime Minister was clear in a statement earlier this week that while the Canadian government helped with travel documents from Iraq to Canada, the little girl's freedom from Syria was done by the family and Galbraith. This is the second case in the past 10 years where steps have been taken to secure the safety of a particularly at-risk child from these detention camps. This is being called a failure by Human Rights Watch, who believe that families should not have to do all the heavy lifting to bring their loved ones home. This is Emily McPhail, reporting for the Early Birds Worm. It has been more than 800 days since two Canadians were arrested in China. Now the two Michaels are scheduled for court hearings. Michael Spavor will appear on March 19th and Michael Kovrig will appear on March 22nd. They are accused of spying. However, in Canada, their detention is seen as retaliation for the arrest of Hawaii executive Meng Wanzhou in Vancouver. Former Canadian ambassador to China guy St. Jacks points out why the two Michaels cannot call for witnesses. Their lawyer will be limited in what uh, he can do because uh, Chinese procurators will say because this involves national secrets, they cannot share the evidence. Several of Canada's closest allies have pledged their support and have asked China to release the two Michaels. Reporter Caitlin Bolt interviewed Renee Armstrong, a video game streamer on the platform Twitch. She spoke about how she monetizes and gives some helpful tips for new streamers. Do you ever get nervous live streaming and do you have any tips for overcoming it? Uh, sometimes I do if 
like mentally I'm not feeling super energized then it's hard to stream on those days but sometimes mm -hmm. I find that if I do just click like the go live button and I start streaming sometimes you know most times my my mood will get better um sometimes it's a bit nervous when there's maybe a lot more people than usual watching because it's like oh oh I feel like I have to be like you know extra entertaining because mm -hmm. there's so much more people watching me but it's uh, important to just kind of be yourself and be calm and even if there's trolls and people who say negative comments it's just important to ignore them and just keep your calm mm -hmm. so. so is would you say it's hard to get into streaming or what's your thoughts I'd on that say it's pretty easy to get into streaming um there's a lot of streamers who are pretty well known that don't even use like a webcam or anything like that so I feel like um, people don't need to buy tons of equipment or cameras or anything like that like if somebody wants to stream then they should just do it <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't think there's anything to to like feel like oh I need to buy all this equipment because it, you don't really need like the best equipment mm -hmm. to just stream so yeah so i'm wondering if you can explain to me how um content content creators on twitch are able to monetize um so there's uh apart from twitch's way of income which is through subscriptions and bits which is like twitch's form of kind of currency uh, people can also donate to streamers that they like, uh, but I also feel like a lot of big streamers out there have partnerships with a lot of big companies, and so they make money off of uh, people using like their promo codes or using their links and affiliate links to buy products. So that's another way I feel like outside of Twitch that streamers can make money off of. Um, so there's like, sounds like there's a few different ways where creators are able to um, kind of get some income. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so do you have any tips for growing a following? I would say finding like a niche community, uh, maybe for like a smaller game or just even a very specific game if you're starting out. Um, I think it's good to start out with like uh like if you start off playing one game you'll build a community from that and then that small community will keep growing and then eventually from that you can kind of branch out and try other things like maybe other games or like real life streams and that sort of thing and mm -hmm. see if people like that as well but yeah i would say finding like a, a niche community to kind of start off is really good <laughs> it's really important so I guess kind of on that same note of growing a following, um, do you have any advice for specifically new streamers who are like just starting out? Like maybe they're following like a little niche community, but maybe tips for putting themselves out there? Yeah, I would say like definitely if you want to start, I would tell like your friends. Um, because if you have like, 
real life friends watching you they'll probably tune in more likely and Mm -hmm. they might tell other people um apart from that if people are comfortable with you know like people knowing that they're streaming um i would say getting involved in maybe servers or tournaments or just like different uh types of groups like within a community and then you kind of build that way mm-hmm. like i know with um some games specifically that have like a lot of tournaments you can meet a lot of people that way which is great mm-hmm. it sounds like it's like very community based yeah i feel like um if the streamer if there's not a connection between like the streamer and the viewer, I feel like a lot of people don't typically stay and they don't watch for as long. So mm-hmm. building like a sense of community and connections is, um, I feel like, essential to like keeping a growing community um, as you continue to kind of grow on the platform. <laughs> mm-hmm. So this is just the last question. But given that you have experience on this platform, what do you think are some qualities of successful streamers? Uh, similar to what I what I just said before, a lot of streamers who are successful are very involved with their community and with their chat when they're streaming. Um, so they'll they'll you know ask people how they're doing. They'll read their comments on like out loud on stream and respond to them. A lot of streamers that are pretty successful too will sometimes do games and stuff with their viewers, which I think is not for everybody, but some people do do that. Mm -hmm. Um, I also feel like a lot of big streamers have uh, social media outside of Twitch. So that could be Twitter, Instagram, um, like Patreon, any of those things so that people can find them outside of Twitch so that their channels can grow when they're not streaming. Thank you for listening to today's show on the Early Birds Worm. I'm your host, Caleb Tutant, and on behalf of the crew, have a great day.